Good afternoon. It is a great joy and blessing to be here together. What a privilege God has given us to come together as part of his family to worship him, to remember the great price that he's paid for us, and now to open his word together. If you will, open your Bibles to the book of Job if they're not already open there. That's where we'll be focusing in our lesson today. Very thankful to see many visitors with us. Want you to know that we're encouraged by your presence. Uh, want to also uh, express our encouragement by M Michelle seeking to, to join the flock here. I um, want to encourage everybody to reach out uh, and get to know her if you haven't already and, and take this opportunity to, to uh, reach out to her. In the book of Job, there are really two primary questions that the, books, uh, uh, the book addresses. One directed towards God and the other directed towards us. And we might most often be familiar when we think about the book of Job with the question, well, why does God allow good people to suffer? And the book, while it doesn't give us a definitive answer to that in every situation that we're ever going to encounter, it does certainly put that question into perspective for us. But I think we need to recognize that the book isn't just asking a question towards God, it's also asking a question towards us. A question that we first hear as a challenge on the lips of Satan. Here in chapter 1, we just read uh, there in verse 8, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Well, what does Satan mean there? Does Job fear God for nothing? I think basically what he's saying is Job only serves you because it's advantageous to him. He only fears you and loves you because of what you do for him. But if you take that all away, you remove that hedge from around him, we'll see what he really thinks of you. Satan, in essence, is accusing Job of being what we would call in modern society a gold digger. right? So, somebody who uh, enters into a marriage relationship not because they really have any real care or affection for the person, but they are interested in the person's wealth or what they can get out of this relationship. Does that describe our relationship with God? Did that describe Job's relationship with God? Really, this question, does Job fear God for nothing, ultimately frames the rest of the book for us. And as we read through the dialogue arising from his suffering, we need to be reminded that the book isn't, isn't just intended to address our questions to God. Perhaps more so, it's intended to get us to think about God's question to us. Would I fear God? Would I serve God for nothing? As we get a small sample of Job's experiences in the book today, I want us to ask that question to ourselves. Do I actually love God or just the things that I hope to get from him? If all that was stripped away, if the hedge around me was removed uh, and every earthly blessing and companionship and hope was removed, and I was left to decide whether or not I was going to serve God for no other reason than that he is God. Would I still choose to serve him? If I only serve God because of what I'm getting out of it, then perhaps I'm not really serving him in the first place. 
Perhaps I'm just using him. Perhaps I'm really serving self. How does God test Satan's claim? Well, he lets Satan take away everything from Job. And each new thing that Satan takes away becomes a challenge to you and I. As we look at what Job went through, we are intended to put ourselves in that situation and say, okay, if that were me, would I serve God for nothing? Would I serve God without this? Would I serve God without that? And that's what I want us to do today. I want us to look at Job's experience and really be very introspective as we look into God's word as a mirror to look into our own hearts and see why it is we are truly serving God. First of all, we see that Satan removes Job's physical blessings. Read with me, starting in verse 13 of Job chapter 1. It says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Talk about a bad day. Can you try to imagine this in your own life and in, in modern context? What, what, what might an experience like this sound like for you and me? Imagine you go on vacation and while you're stopped at a convenience store, your car gets stolen and everything, all the luggage that you had in it is gone. You eventually find some way to get back to your house and when you get back to your house, you realize that it has been ransacked and burglarized and there's not really a, a thing left inside it. And so you go out to the store to try to get some provisions for the night and when you try to use your credit card, you realize that your identity has been stolen and you have no more funds in your bank. And so you go and as you go to bed that night, a tornado comes in and knocks out what, what's left of your house. How would we react in a situation like that? How would we feel in a situation like that? Well, we might think this is just not fair. This isn't what I signed up for. Uh, this isn't what the perfect Christian life is supposed to look like, right? God's supposed to be blessing me, aren't you? I think most of us here may recognize that, that what we would call the, the health and wealth gospel is not a biblical concept. Certainly we recognize that, that we're not just supposed to be serving God because we expect that he's going to give me great wealth and health and prosperity in this life. But even while we might kind of deny the, the fullness of that message, many times we kind of want to cling on to at least a part of it. That, you know, at, at least God, I, I expect that God will, will give me some reasonable portion of health and wealth, Right. We might think, well, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below and a little silver and a little gold. As long as when I get to that city where the ransom shall shine, uh, as long as God then gives me my mansion and it's, it's gold with silver line. 
I know that's not the intent of that song, but, but perhaps that can be our mindset. That, well, I'm, I'm willing, God, let, let's, let's make this a business transaction. I'm willing to just get by with a little bit here as long as you give me what I really want in the end. If that is our attitude, if that's our mindset, then who are we serving? Are we just using God to get the things out of this relationship that we want? And yet, it is indeed true that God takes pleasure in blessing his people and blessing those who serve him. And we see that this is a legitimate concept in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, we're told, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be busting with wine. Certainly, when we use what God has given us for him, when we are faithful with a little, we can expect that in many cases he will entrust us with more to be used in his service. That is a biblical principle. Many times we turn that on its head, though, and we, we, we think that here God is giving us more for us. No, it's his possessions to begin with, and anything that he does give us is because we proved ourselves faithful and he wants us to continue that service and to continue to be equipped to do that service. We do see certainly examples throughout the scriptures of people greatly blessed by God. You think about Joseph. Joseph, who becomes second in command in the nation of Egypt next to Pharaoh. You think about Daniel, who, who goes from being a, a young boy taken into Babylon to uh, becoming the, the third in command. Um, in the entire kingdom. You think of King David, who goes from being a shepherd boy to being the king of Israel during a time of great prosperity. Yes, God takes great pleasure in blessing his people. But sometimes when we have proved ourselves faithful to the Lord, he doesn't just give us more resources, he gives us more challenges. He gives us more trials in which we can glorify him, in which we can be refined, in which we can grow. In fact, you think about Job here. Job is not suffering despite the fact that he is righteous. He is suffering because he is righteous. That's the reason he became this target from Satan's accusations. And so while there may be some truth that, yes, God does take pleasure and in blessing and a further equipping those who are serving him. Sometimes he also brings great challenges and trials. You think about Joseph that we talked about just a moment ago. For years and years, Joseph spends his, his time as a slave in, in Egypt, sold into Egypt, eventually falsely accused, thrown into prison. No, his life wasn't perfect. His life wasn't uh, constantly blessed with health and wealth by the Lord. You think about Daniel, who from the very outset started his life as a young boy taken from his homeland to be a, a servant in the kingdom of Babylon. And even later in his life, after he has proved himself faithful, he still gets thrown into the lion's den. You think about David, who for a great portion of his life spent his life fleeing from the king of Israel who was bent on his destruction. 
Are physical blessings a condition to our service to God? E- even, even just, you know, maybe it's not that, that great health and prosperity that we're looking for, but even just kind of my, my basic needs, is that a prerequisite to me serving the Lord? Will I remain faithful in prosperity and in persecution? Matthew 6 and verse 24, Jesus warns us. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Later on in the same chapter in verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If my service to God is in any way dependent upon any level of financial or economic welfare, then it's not truly God who I'm serving. That I'm not truly seeking first the kingdom. I've allowed something else to take the throne. I've allowed something else to become the master in my life. But things don't stop there for Job. If we look back in Job chapter 1, we read just a little bit further on this same day as that last servant was finishing his speech. It says in verse 18, While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. I don't know if there's anybody in this assembly who, who may have experienced the, the death of a child. Most of you at least probably know people who have experienced the death of a child. And you think about the great grief and pain that that causes for even one child. And yet here, Job, in the matter of a few moments, becomes an empty empty nester, not because his children went off and, and, and started their own families, no, but because all of them in one fell swoop were taken from this world. Can you imagine what that would be like? And on top of all of that, we see his wife who remains in chapter two tells him, Job, give up. Why are you still holding fast to your integrity? Just curse God and die. It's not worth it anymore. If you look later in the book, in chapter 19, Job talks about the the sense of aloneness and isolation that he feels. In Job chapter 19, starting in verse 13, here Job, speaking of God, says, He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Job has lost his entire household, all 10 of his children. And on top of all of that, everyone who is left is abandoning him. They don't want to have anything to do with him. 
Can you imagine what it would be like if everyone you care about either died or forsook you? Do we only serve God because he gives us a good family life and quality friendships? You know, it's certainly true that God's design gives us a wonderful familial relationship and structure. He is the foundation of the home. Strong marriages are built on the Lord. Strong families are built on the Lord. And that is a wonderful blessing. And God has given us relationships that we can have with our brethren, with a spiritual family that support us and encourages us. But is that the reason we're serving the Lord? What if your spouse was unfaithful to you? What if the people that you look up to as role models in the faith abandon the Lord? What if there was a church split? What if all your close friends moved away? What if your, your children died? Would you still choose to serve the Lord? You know, God knows the value of a support system. That's why he designed it. He designed the family. He designed the, the home and the church to be that support system. But brethren, we need to make sure that we're serving God and not serving the support system. You might have seen before people put up uh, big domino constructions. And they put up domino after domino after domino after domino. And then they knock one over. And what happens? Well, all of a sudden, all of them start knocking over. Is that us spiritually? Who, who in my life would Satan have to knock over to get me to fall? What if every single person in this building, except for you, abandoned the Lord? Would you fall? Or is your relationship with God grounded in him more than in anybody else? We need to be that domino that, that's standing by the rock. <laughs> That when anybody else falls over, we're going to lean on him. Matthew 10, Jesus warns us that while in one sense, certainly he did come to bring peace, peace between us and God, in an earthly sense, Jesus didn't come to bring peace. But the gospel was in many cases going to bring a sword within relationships. But he says in Matthew 10 and verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Is my relationship with God truly the most important relationship in my life? Or could Satan take out some other relationship and all of a sudden cause my relationship with God to dissolve? Satan doesn't stop there in Job's life. We see even though his first attempt doesn't work and Job doesn't turn his back on God, he doesn't curse God as he said he would. Uh, Job, uh, or Satan tries again here in Job chapter 2 starting in verse 4 if you'll read with me. It says, then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. 
But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and took a piece uh, and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Satan comes back for round two and he says, well, actually, Job was just more selfish than we thought he was. He didn't really care about all those other people that, that died. He didn't really care that much about those things. As long as he, he himself is doing okay, you know, th- then he'll continue serving. But you, you let me touch him. You let me bring pain and suffering to his very flesh. Well, then he's going to turn against you. We don't know exactly what this disease was that Job received here. But we can see many of the symptoms throughout the book there in verse two, chapter 2 and verse 8. It talks about him, him scraping himself, severe itching. Uh, in chapter 7 and verse 5, we see running sores and scabs, uh, insomnia. Also, nightmares are described in chapter 19, verse 20, severe weight loss. Um, in chapter 30 and verse 30, fever and blackened skin. Uh, if, if you look there in chapter 7 and verse 5, you just read that one with me. It says, my flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. It's like here that the, the worms are basically getting a head start on his decomposing body. You know, I, I don't know what kind of physical sufferings everyone here has been through. But, but I know for me, even the very worst sicknesses and the very worst pains that I've ever been through, you know, I, I've been able to kind of crash on my couch at home or, or in a hospital bed and have people attending to me. I uh, have my wife, you know, making me soup, whatever it might be. Here, Job, in a severe sickness that he is going through, is out on an ash heap with everybody having abandoned him. Maybe for us, we, we see through the wealth side of the health and wealth gospel. But maybe the health side is the, the, the part that kind of gives us a little more hang up. Certainly we see in the scriptures that God does answer prayers for healing. And God instructs us to pray for healing. But we also see that he doesn't guarantee good health and comfort to his servants at all times. Quite to the contrary, in fact, he gives us fair warning that as men and women of faith, we should expect physical hardships. If, If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, for just a moment. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. We often look at this as the, the hall of fame of faith. These men and women of faith throughout the Bible who uh, lived lives through very difficult times to the glory of God because they trusted in him. But notice what it says here about some of these people starting in verse 35. He's just got done talking about some who through faith were delivered in great ways. He says there at the beginning of verse 35, women receive back their dead by resurrection. But then he goes on to talk about those who refused deliverance, who went through great suffering because of their faith. He says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Brother, that's, that's a picture of some of what men and women of faith went through. You know, whatever my picture of the Christian life is, if it doesn't include trials and suffering, it's not a complete picture. What, what, if, what if I knew for a fact that my service to God was going to end looking like this? What if I knew that in committing my life to the Lord, it meant that I was going to, in fact, be tortured. That I was going to leave this world because somebody was sawing me in two. And the time that I remained on here, I was going to be hiding out in caves, not always having the, the very clothing that I needed. Would I sign up for that? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 God tells us, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rather than suffering in any form should not come as a surprise to the Christian. It's ultimately part of following in the footsteps of Jesus. And it's one of our greatest opportunities to give glory to God. You think about all those stories throughout the scripture of men and women of faith and how they gave glory to God through the fiery furnace and the lion's den and running away from their enemies hiding in caves. When we have faith and devotion and love to God in the midst of those type of challenges, we show our genuine love for him. If you or I have some thorn in the flesh that God in his divine wisdom chooses not to take away, but allows it to remain for the testing of our faith, that we might grow and be refined by it, how would we respond? Would our service to him waver? There's a quote by a writer named Gary Henry that has been very challenging to me. And he asks the question, is it God we desire or a particular path to him. You know, many times we get in our mind this picture of the Christian life and what it's going to be like. And it's going to be everything that I want in life. I'm going to have this perfect family and this perfect house and this dog, and God's going to bless me with great health, or at least a reasonable measure of health, and a reasonable measure of wealth, and, and everything will just be perfect. Brothers, that's not the biblical picture of being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus himself shows us what genuine service to God often will look like. For him, ending in rejection and mocking and suffering for our salvation. There's a hymn writer named Francis Brooke who writes the following. He says, my goal is God himself. Not joy, nor peace nor even blessing, but himself, my God, 
Tis his to lead me there, not mine, but his, at any cost, dear Lord, by any road. May that be our statement. May that be our attitude. I'm afraid sometimes we, we want God to lead us. We want God to guide us, but not, not down the, the valley of the shadow of death. You know, if, if you start leading me down that way, well, I, I'm not so sure I want to be on this journey anymore. Is it truly God that we're serving? Or some picture of what we think that God is going to give us? But it doesn't end here for Job. I want to look at, at one fourth area before we make some final application. If you look back in the book of Job later on in chapter 29, we see from the very outset of the book that Job has a reputation as somebody who is a devoted servant of God. And he's greatly respected in society for it. But notice what he says towards the end of his uh, Prayers to the Lord here in Job 29. We're not going to read this entire section, but I want to just read a few excerpts from it. Starting in verse 2, Job says, Oh, that I were as in months of old, as in days when God watched over me. And he goes on to describe what that was like. If you look in verse 7, he says, When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew, and the aged rose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hands on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it approved. In chapter 30, he goes on to talk about his current situation. Chapter 30 and verse 1, he says, But now they laugh at me. Men who are younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. Look in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 30. He says, And now I have become their song. I am a byword to them. They abhor me. They keep aloof from me. They do not hesitate, hesitate to spit at the sight of me. Here, Job went from the most honored among men to the most despised. Though he hadn't sinned, though he had done no wrong to bring the suffering upon him, his reputation as a good and godly man is completely destroyed. Do we only serve God and do good if we get credit for it? Do we only serve God because it further reinforces our self-image as someone who is upright and has integrity? Because that is how we want to be known by others, or maybe even that's just how we want to view ourselves. What if all of that was taken away? What if... Everyone accused you of being a vile and godless person no matter what you did. Would you give up and stop trying? Would you just become what they thought you were because being good wasn't worth it anymore? Do we only show up to the assembly because we want to be a church-going person? And we want to, you know, kind of have our box checked that yes, we were there. Do we only spend time in Bible study and prayer because that's what religious people do? And certainly we don't want our denominational friends to beat us in Bible trivia. Or do we do those things because we genuinely love God? 
and we want to develop a relationship with him. We want to come to know him. We want to be pleasing his side, and we want to serve his people. Are we just serving God because of how it makes us able to think of ourselves and view ourselves or how other people view us? Or is it because I, Grady Huggins, genuinely love God and want to develop a closer relationship with him? Matthew 6 and verse 1, Jesus tells us, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You know, the real test for us, even in the situation we're in now, is how is my relationship with God when no one is looking? When I'm in the privacy of my own home, when it's just me and him, what does my spiritual life look like then? Or how is my relationship with God when those I am around would look down upon my faith? The true measure of our spirituality is not how good of an image we can reflect to those around us or to our church friends. The real measure of our spirituality is what God sees when no one else is watching. And brethren, if, if there's a big difference for me between what other people see and what's really going on, what's really going on back here that nobody's seeing, that is what is the measure of my relationship with the Lord. Why is it that I'm serving God? Is it because I hope to get his blessings and physical senses because I hope to develop these good and godly relationships because I want health and comfort or because I want the praise of men. Ultimately, Job did not serve God for any of these reasons. He served God simply because he is God. Look back with me in Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, this is right after he's gotten the report that all of his possessions have been taken away and that his very children have all died in one fell swoop. And in verse 20, we see Job's reaction. It says, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Brother, that is amazing. And yet that is the kind of attitude that you and I need to have. Job wasn't just serving God because of all of these things that God given him, because of the hedge that God had put around him. He was serving him because he was God and he was deserving of worship and honor, no matter what the circumstances in Job's life may be. Later on in chapter 2, when Job's wife urges him, just curse God and die, give up. He says in verse 10, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Job recognized that God is still God. And God is still in control. And he is the creator and he's the giver of every good gift. And whatever gifts he has given are still within his authority. And he can do with them as he sees best. 
God still deserves the glory for no other reason than because he is God. And at the end of the book, though Job does waver and question and cry out to God asking for an answer, notice what Job's conclusion is in Job 42 and verse 2. There are a lot of things that Job doesn't understand, a lot of things that Job doesn't know. But after going through all of this experience and finally having God appear to him in chapter 42 and verse 2, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I don't know why all of this has happened. And God doesn't come along and say, Job, by the way, Satan and I had this conversation in chapter 1 and this is what was said. No, God doesn't answer that question. But Job, at the end of the day, the one thing he needs to know is God is still God. And God's in control. God is not only worthy of our service and praise when he gives us what we want. He is worthy of our service and praise at all times because he is God, the supreme ruler of the universe, the creator of all things, the giver of every good gift, the sustainer of life, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Let let me put it this way. I, I love Erin, and I deeply appreciate all that she has done and continues to do for me in my life. She's enriched my life and helped me grow in more ways than I can count. She helps keep our home running. She gives me the companionship and support that I need. But if this very moment, Erin went into a coma and she never came out, and my entire relationship with her was simply sitting by her bedside, having nothing, receiving nothing in this relationship other than memories of what she has done for me and who she is. I would still love her and serve her until the day that I died. Not because it would do anything for me, but because I love her. Brother, if that's the attitude that we need to have in human relationships, how much more should that be our attitude in relationship with God, the creator of the universe, the one who has given me every single good thing I have ever experienced? We need to serve God, not because we're hoping to get this or we're hoping to get that or we want our life to turn out this way or that way. Because he is God. Why are you serving God today? Are you willing to serve God for nothing? The ESV says, does Job serve God for no reason? (laughs) I think we can see it's not for no reason. It's for the most compelling reason possible. That he is God. Are we willing to serve God simply because we love him? with all our heart, with all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. If not, maybe our relationship with the Lord isn't what it needs to be. God has given us every reason in the world to serve him. He has showered us with abundant blessings. He gives us joy and peace and comfort. He gives us hope of an eternity in his presence. But at the end of the day, he wants us to learn to love him and serve him 
because of who he is. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you seeking God today? God himself. Or are you just seeking a particular path to him? If you need to make some change today, if you recognize that there's something in your heart that's not the way that it needs to be, God in his grace and his patience will help remold that heart, will help cultivate the type of attitude that he wants you to have if you're willing to bring your heart before him, to seek him for who he is. If you've not been doing that and you need in some public way to express it to these brethren, to ask for the help of these brethren and getting back where you need to be, and your service to the Lord. That's why we're here. To help one another be everything that God wants us to be. If you've never started down that path, you've never committed your life to the Lord, you've never confessed your faith in Jesus as the Christ and buried the old man of sin by the power of the resurrection in the waters of baptism that you might come up to live a new life. I'm going to give you that opportunity now. If there's any way that we can help you in your service to the Lord, won't you please make it known at this time as we stand and sing together.